Good morning, everyone. Today we are at Exodus chapter 20, and this is one significant teaching. Buckle up and uh, make sure that, you know, you've got your your spiritual energy up for an extremely important teaching. So we are at the Ten Commandments of God. God is speaking at Mount Sinai. All Israel is at the base of the mountain. Moses is in the proximity of God. And God is speaking, and he's giving what's called the Old Mosaic Law. He's giving the Ten Commandments. Uh, This is the first written instruction that is being given to Moses as far as the law and what Israel is going to follow for many, many, many years, all the way up into the days of Jesus. Um, This is one of the most significant covenants uh, of the Bible. And it's going to be ratified in a few chapters or several chapters from now with blood. It's going to be in a covenant that we've already seen in chapter 19 that Israel is going to agree to with God. And this is what they're going to follow to honor God. Now, for those who you know are don't know, we now live in a new covenant. We live under a new agreement. We live in a new age. We live in a new, if you want to call it dispensation. We live in a in a in a in a time and season with God where God is treating us differently or operating in a different manner because of the revelation of Jesus Christ and the fact that Jesus came to fulfill the law and he died as the sacrificial lamb to usher in a new age with the church. And now everyone who believes in him is part of his family And in the New Covenant, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law and gave us a new understanding today of what it means to follow God. Now, the Ten Commandments are important, and the Old Testament is important because the Christian faith is is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So it's incredibly important that we know the Old Testament and that we know the Ten Commandments. But what we need is we need to have a New Testament understanding we need to know what it means to follow God and these commandments from Jesus's perspective because we live under a new covenant now. Now, much later, uh, after the Mosaic Covenant, um, say, you know, gosh, about a thousand, you know, maybe 900 years later, something to that effect, we got a promise in the Old Testament that a new covenant would come. And I want to read that to you now before we get into the Ten Commandments so that we can properly understand them. So now I'm moving way forward to still in the Old Testament. And Jeremiah, a prophet, is speaking. And in chapter 31, in verse 31 of chapter 31, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant. Now, what we're reading in Exodus 20 is part of the old covenant. But we're being told there's going to be a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which is where we are. We just uh, have followed Israel's journey out of the land of Egypt, and we're now seeing in Exodus 20 that covenant. But it says, my covenant which they broke. That's what is being said in in Jeremiah 31, that they were unfaithful to that covenant. And we'll see that as we go through Israel's history. 
that they were not faithful to follow the blessings of the covenant and to follow the covenant. In fact, they ended up being under a curse because of their disobedience to the covenant. In my covenant, which they broke, it says in, in, in Jeremiah 31, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And, and that has happened now through the Spirit of God. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you've been ushered into God's family, and, and he literally puts his law inside of you. I will put it on their heart, and I will, and I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And now the people of God is not Israel. The people of God is those who believe in Jesus. Now it can be Jews can be anyone, any Jew or Greek, slave or free. It doesn't matter. Anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ is now part of the family of God. And then it says, They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. Now listen to this. This is really important. This is the signature of the new covenant that Jeremiah is saying one day will happen. It didn't happen in his day. <clears throat> this is about uh, 600 years before Jesus ever came, that Jeremiah is saying these words. And he's saying of this new covenant which will come, it says this, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Hallelujah. That is really good news that God is going to forgive those who believe in him because, because of the fact that the covenant that God made, the old covenant which we're about to read, Israel broke. They were under the curse of that covenant. And, and in order to, in the Old Covenant, have forgiveness, as we'll see as we go through the Old Covenant and we go through the book of Leviticus, we'll see that God created a sacrificial system so that when Israel did not obey, there was a way for them to have their sin atoned for by bringing an animal sacrifice to God. And God now does not allow us to bring animal sacrifices to be forgiven because he sent Jesus, his one and only son, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And now everyone who believes in him can have the forgiveness of sin that's promised by Jeremiah here in the new covenant that was coming, where it says, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more, which I hope you want that. I sure do. And I'm grateful that we've received it in Jesus Christ, that God has forgiven my sin through faith in his son, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Hallelujah. Now I want to take you to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. And in Matthew 26, Jesus is celebrating Passover. If you've been following us on our journey, that was just, you know, eight chapters earlier, where through the blood of the Lamb over the doorposts of the houses of Israel, Israel was saved from the spirit of destruction that came over Egypt. And it was on Passover, and that was to be commemorated every year. They were to celebrate Passover, and indeed, this is Passover. And Jesus is having a Passover meal with his disciples. And on that same day, the day that the blood of the Lamb saved them, you know, many, many years earlier, now Jesus is with his guys in the upper room. We know it as the Last Supper. And Jesus is experiencing the Last Supper with his guys on Passover. And listen to what it says here. Um, well, I'm going to pick it up briefly in verse uh, 17, the second half of that verse, just to get you into the scene, the setting. He, he said, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city 
And a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus directed them and they prepared the Passover. So that's exactly what's happening. Now in verse 26 of that same chapter, Matthew 26, verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, it was a cup of wine, which represented his blood. He said, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, the many is those who are going to believe in him. You got to believe in him to have this forgiveness. And then he says, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And he's saying the next time we're going to celebrate a meal like this is going to be in heaven. But Jesus is ushering in the new covenant through the sacrifice of himself, which is going to happen in the same 24 hour period on Passover. Jesus is going to die and shed his blood. He's saying this cup represents my blood, which is the blood of the covenant, the covenant that Jeremiah promised where, there, where he would remember our, our iniquity and our sins no more, Jesus is ushering in that covenant. Hallelujah. So, all that to say, this is really an important understanding. For some of you, you, you maybe have understood it. For those who haven't, praise God, you're beginning to now understand that we're going to read about an old covenant now, and we're going to read about the laws and rules of the old covenant. But in order to understand what they mean today, we have to look at them with a New Testament lens. What we have to do is we have to go and see how Jesus fulfilled or re-clarified what is spoken in the Mosaic law that we're going to read now, because in order to understand how it's binding today, we got to look at it under the new rules of the new covenant. Now, we should still learn of it through the old rules of the old covenant so that we understand where it came from, but it's not exactly the same how it applies to us today. We have to look through the New Testament lens to understand that. That's really important because not only not not as much in the Ten Commandments, honestly, because most of them are are binding the way they are or have been strengthened, but there are many laws that we're going to see in the days to come as we go through the book of Exodus and Leviticus that are no longer binding. There's no record of them. There's no mention of them at all in the new covenant because they've they've been made obsolete. They're no longer apply. Now, many do apply. And in order to find out which ones apply and how they apply, again, we've got to look at it through the New Testament. Um, really important. And in fact, if we turn to, and we're going to turn here a lot today, but if we turn to Matthew 5.17, and I don't know if you're turning or you can just maybe hear uh, what I'm saying. But in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said, he said this. He said, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. He's not saying ignore what Moses is writing here. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So he fulfilled the law through the sacrifice of himself and ushered in the new covenant. So now what we have to do is learn what does it mean that he he fulfilled it? How did he change then how we understand the Old Testament law? Okay, so now with all of that as a backdrop, let's get into the Ten Commandments 
They're all camped around this mountain. And then God spoke all these words to them. And he said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And, you know, he wants them and he wants us to always remember the great power of God and how he delivered them from Egypt, because it's an amazing miracle. And we should always honor and acknowledge God for the power he displayed in, in releasing Egypt, releasing Israel from Egypt. Then he says in verse 3, now we have our first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, that's really clear in the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, uh, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other God but Jesus. All other gods are idols. They're not real. That's what the Old Testament and both New Testament say. The only true God is God and his son, Jesus Christ. And that's very important. We're not to have any other gods before him. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water or under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And, you know, what a blessing it is to follow God and what what a curse it is to ignore him. But what he's saying here is, you shall not make any idol. And in the Old Testament, Sadly, even God's people in this very chapter, we're going to see that they don't honor him right away in this. And they make up a golden calf and worship it. And God was very displeased with what they did. Now, an idol can be something that's made that you worship that is not God. But, you know, today, I think an idol can be something that we place ahead of God something that we make of greater importance than God, when really God should be first in our lives. Uh, you know, put the kingdom of God first is what the Bible says, instead of some other thing in our lives. And today that could be retirement or could be money or could be prestige or could be possessions uh, or could be even a person. You know, we can't place anybody ahead of God in our lives that would be making someone else or something else an idol and not God. And, you know, this is um, echoed in the New Testament. I'm going to take you to a passage, and it's echoed in more than one place. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, I'm not sure, you know, again, I'll probably get there pretty quick. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9, and it says, uh, For... They themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us, hallelujah, from the wrath to come. But see how we've turned to idols, not turned from idols. Now, that's just one verse. There's others. First John 5.21 talks about something similar. And we're not to have idols in the Old Testament. We're not to have idols today. Then it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. That's to use God's name irreverently. 
And that is something that we shouldn't do. And it's really important that we manage our tongue. We should not use the Lord's name in vain. Now, a couple of passages echo this in the New Testament. In particular, the book of James talks about the uh, the problems that we can create with our tongue. And in James 1.26, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So this is now New Testament teaching. That's the brother of Jesus that we have to bridle our tongue. We should not be taking the Lord's name in vain. Uh, In James chapter 3, it talks further about this and about the dangers of the tongue. And this is something that's a mark of a true believer. Uh, Listen to this. Now, if we put the bits into horses' mouths so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. They are so great and are driven by strong winds and are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members at that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of your life, and it is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a fig produce figs? Nor can salt water produce flesh. So anyways, it it, it goes at length to say the dangers of using the tongue and also using the Lord's name in vain. We have to be... We have to watch our words and be wise with our words. And may may God give us a proper Holy Spirit conviction to tame our tongues. Now, when you fail, you should repent and say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I don't want to live that way. And praise God, there's forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. But it's not a permit to continue that way. It's strength. The grace of God is a strength to turn away from sin. So uh, there we have it. We should not use the Lord's name in vain. Now, look at this next one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you and your son or your daughters, your male and your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. Now, this is very interesting. The Sabbath, uh, it was the seventh day, which was Saturday, and that was the day that the Jews, you know, went to the synagogue, and it was the day that they were to not work. Now, what you might not know, 
is that the Jewish people made rules upon rules upon rules. I mean, hundreds, I'm not even kidding, over a hundred pages of additional rules and laws, not even recorded in the Bible, that they added to what they felt they should follow that was that was enforced among Jewish people, that everything from knitting to sewing to any farming or, you know, it was it was spelled out in detail what you could do and what you could not do. And I think God was displeased with them going above and beyond the word of God in the Old Testament to make the policy regarding the Sabbath so stringent. Now, this is very interesting because if we go to the book of Colossians, and this is this is really an important teaching, and we could spend a lot more time in it than what I'm going to give it today. But I want to take you to Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 16. And Colossians 2, verse 16. And what it says there is the following. Excuse me, taking me a second to get there. But it says this. uh, We're going to pick it up, actually, in verse 13 of Colossians 2. He's talking about when you were under the Old Testament law here. He says, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision, which was another law uh, that you're supposed to be circumcised, but in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's through Jesus. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, what he's talking about is all the laws of the Old Testament, and it's saying that Jesus has canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us because it showed us how sinful we were that we couldn't follow all the laws. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross through the cross, he is nailed to the cross all of the Old Testament laws that we could not follow. So then does that mean that we don't have to follow any Old Testament law? No. What we have to do is we have to follow the way that the new covenant has showed us we are now to follow the laws of the Old Testament. That's why you have to know the Bible so you know what it says as far as what's binding today and what's not. And it says, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. We now have a a new authority in Jesus Christ and what it means. Therefore, listen to this. Therefore, really important, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. Now, this is dealing with like, you know, in the Old Testament, they couldn't eat pork or shrimp or things like that. But anyways, no one is to judge you in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival. Like, do you follow all the Old Testament festivals? You don't, right? or a new moon, there were things that they did on new moons. It says, or a Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in all of these things before. See, no one is supposed to judge you as to what you eat or drink is regarding Old Testament laws, a new moon or a Sabbath day. See, so one of the Ten Commandments 
the Sabbath is not one that is honored the way it was in the Old Covenant. In fact, Jesus, if we were to look at his life, he had so many arguments with the Pharisees regarding the Sabbath because he was doing ministry. He was His disciples were doing things that they criticized him for in the Sabbath. And he said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And now, does this mean that we shouldn't quiet our hearts, that we shouldn't spend time with God? That's exactly what we shouldn't. No, we should do that. We should spend time with God. It's critically important. But in the New Testament church, instead of meeting on a Saturday, they now met on the first day of the or on the yeah the first day of the week, Sunday, on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, and Christians began to differentiate themselves from Jews when Christianity was on the rise, and they ended up meeting on a new day because the Jews kicked the the Paul and the rest of them out of the synagogue when they were trying to preach Christ to the Jews back in the New Testament days in the book of Acts. So eventually they ended up meeting on a new day, the first day of the week, Sunday. That's very clear from the scriptures. So the Sabbath has changed. It's not Saturday. Now we meet on Sunday. And even the way that we have to honor the Sabbath today is not the same because Jesus made a change. The new covenant made a change in the Sabbath. Now, there's much more you could read about that as far as Jesus' example of the Sabbath. And I'm sure in time we will we will see that. But uh, praise God you're here studying God's Word, that you are spending time with the Lord, and that's critically important. And we should do it every day, not just a day. We should do it every day. But we don't have the Sabbath law the way that it used to be in the Old Testament. In fact, you know what? I need to share with you one more thing. If you were to go to uh, the book of Hebrews, and we were to go to chapter 8. I'm going to go there now, and I'll read a couple of things for you. It's really, again, very important, the book of Hebrews. And we're going to look at chapter 8. And this is what talks about regarding the new covenant and the old covenant. It says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would not have been occasion sought for a second. But there was a problem with the old. Now listen to verse 13 of chapter 8. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. <clears throat> and indeed it has disappeared in the sense that we don't live under the old covenant law anymore. We live under a new covenant. And just one more um, verse of Hebrews 10 verse 9. Hebrews 10, verse 9 and 10, it says this, Then he said to them, Behold, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And when Jesus was offered on that cross once and for all, he takes away the first in order to establish the second. He takes away the first covenant, the old covenant, to establish the new covenant. And, and, and that's echoing what I've been teaching you all along. Now we need to have a new covenant understanding of the Old Testament law. We still need to know it. We need to know the Bible, but we have to look at it through a New Testament lens. Okay, moving forward. Uh, we did the Sabbath was the last one we covered. And then it says, uh, honor your father and your mother 
that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And that is echoed in the New Testament. We definitely should honor our father and mother. You shall not murder, said very, very simply. Now, that's really interesting because sometimes it may seem, oh, Jesus is making things a lot easier in the new covenant so far, in obsoleting the old one. You know, it's all easier. Well, guess what? Sometimes he strengthens the old covenant. He gives a new understanding in the, the new covenant as to what it means to not murder. And we need to, we need to take a look at that because it's really important. And some of these teachings now come from Matthew chapter 5. And I'll tell you what, this is going to really challenge us in the area of forgiveness. Uh, listen to Listen to what Jesus said. You heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. He's quoting uh, the Ten Commandments. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother. Then come present your offering. Make your friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you will not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. What Jesus talks about a lot in the new covenant is that we need to forgive our brother 70 times seven that we need to forgive and that when we are angry with our brother it's as though we are committing murder and when we're unforgiving to others we are doing what's wrong so in this particular case and you know who who's blessed by that we are when we just forgive and we don't stay angry when we let we don't let the sun go down on our anger and we have grace and forgiveness towards other, we're blessed in that. And that's why Jesus is telling us this. But in this particular case, he strengthens the ten, that, that commandment to, to get us to forgive and not be angry with our brother. Then it says, you shall not steal. And of course we, oh no, excuse me, you shall not commit adultery is the next one. And that also is talked about in Matthew 5. Listen to this. Jesus talking about that commandment. You heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Wow. What a strong and powerful and good word. Do you know that pornography will destroy marriages and will destroy men? Pornography is lust. It is wrong. It is sin. Jesus compares it to committing adultery. You should rid every ounce of it out of your life and never look at it again in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. He is, makes it stronger, church. Adultery is pornography and lust is pornography. And we should not be partaking of anything. And we lay our eyes on our wives. And when we, when we make a mistake, we should repent. And we should get back on track with the Lord. But don't don't water down the word of God. Jesus strengthens it in this area. And we need to hear that today. Pornography should be banned in our country. It's, a, it's an evil. It's an evil. It's 
It's an evil. Then it says you shall not steal. And that's echoed in the New Testament. I'm not going to take you there. I think you already agree we shouldn't steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And that's brought up as well in the New Testament. And of course, we shouldn't falsely lie about things. We should tell the truth. And then it says you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And that we should not do as well. And that's echoed, uh, you know, and I could I could tell you all these areas. You could do some research as well. Uh, but Ephesians 5.3, Romans 7, Romans 7.7 7, uh, are some areas where that's talked about. So all of those things we should not be doing. And the, the, the Ten Commandments are still good, guys. They're great today. But in one case, we saw one that has been changed dramatically in the Sabbath. And we also saw some that were strengthened dramatically. And adultery and in, in murder and being angry and in lusting. So it's really important we have these New Testament uh, understandings. So going back then um, to the commandments and or to Exodus 20, listen to this scene. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. God brought this this law on in a magnificent way so they would see the power of God on display. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Uh, they, they had a fear of the Lord and we're supposed to have a fear of the Lord today. Now, praise God, he came to us through Jesus and in love and gave his life to us and and God loves us, but we're supposed to have a reverence and fear of him. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you will not sin. And who's hurt when we sin? We are. Sin destroys our lives. And God wants the fear of God in us so that we will not sin, so that we can walk in blessing instead of cursing. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. It's amazing to me that they do this uh, in, in the not too distant future. You shall make an altar of earth. You shall not make an altar of earth for me, and you shall you shall sacrifice. Excuse me. You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offering and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, and every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. And we haven't seen it in full display yet, but this is, you know, part of the sacrificial system that's going to come, that's going to allow the Israelites to be forgiven when they when they make a mistake. But verse 25 Listen to this. This is very interesting. We're almost done here with the chapter. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. And you shall not go up by the steps to my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. Uh, You know, I'm imagining that last verse. What that means is if, if the 
if the people who are offering the sacrifice went up on steps on an altar and they wore like their robe, someone could like look up their robe and he doesn't want that. And, uh, you know, so that's, that's why he didn't have them go up on steps to an altar. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, what that speaks of is very briefly is that God desires our sexual purity and he allows for sex and lovemaking to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in the privacy of your home. Um, but you know, sexual promiscuity is not something for the public. We're not supposed to cause thing, cause people to, to lust and sexual intimacy is for, for privacy and, and for a marriage. The last thing I want to cover here is verse 25 regarding the cut stones. Now, later on, we'll see that God does ask Israel out in the desert to make a tabernacle, and it's going to have some nice features to it. But from a pers- although it's still a tent, <laughs> but from a perspective of this altar, he doesn't want it to be made magnificent or to be made beautiful or to have cut stones. Instead, it's just going to be normal, ordinary stones where the altar is made. Isn't that interesting? And it just makes me think of, you know, what do we need in order to worship God? What do you need in a church in order to worship God? Like, I, I hope that authentic worship and preaching of the holy words of God is why we come to church and that we seek to honor God and that we don't need fluff. We don't need entertainment. We don't, I was, you know, this is maybe she'll listen. And, you know, uh, uh, one girl who came to church this week said something to the effect of, oh, where's your barista? Because I think some church that, um, she may have went to has like a barista for coffee and we don't have a barista, but we do have coffee. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful that we can do, we can make church a comfortable atmosphere. We want to make church welcoming. We want people to want to come, but I tell you what, when you fall in love with your Lord and savior, Jesus, and when you want to hear the word of God, the thing that you should want to come for is the presence of God and the holy inspired preaching of his word and not any kind of fluff, not any kind of, it doesn't have to be beautiful. You know what's beautiful? The sacrifice of Jesus on a cross for you and his resurrection from the dead. And may we get our hearts right that the reason we come to church is for the fellowship of the people and for the presentation of the word of God and to worship him and not for any kind of beautiful cut stone because the beauty is in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us. Hallelujah. I pray that, um, and I trust that today you, 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 you saw the beauty of the new covenant and fulfilling the old, yet may we continue our journey to learn the foundation of the Bible in the old covenant. Hallelujah. May we all have better understanding and may God's name be high and lifted up.